a memory of when voting was not a right, but was more a racial quiz show. I have to say that I failed the voter registration test three times when I was in college. I couldn't pass the literacy test. College-educated Joyce Ladner remembering how hard it was for her to vote as an African-American back in the 1960s. This week, we've taken you on a voting rights tour looking at what's changed and what will change now that the Supreme Court decision in Shelby County versus Holder permits districts to enact all kinds of changes to voting. Joyce Ladner was an activist who fought for the Voting Rights Act in the 1960s. Next week on our program, you'll hear her remembrances of the March on Washington, which turns 50 this year. But she was one of the activists who met all of the voting restrictions with organizing campaigns that got people to the polls and eventually got the Voting Rights Act passed in 1965. Marvin Randolph, you might say, is a Joyce Ladner of our era. He's been revamping his get-out-the-vote strategies in light of the Supreme Court's voting rights decision. Marvin Randolph is the senior vice president for campaigns at the NAACP, and he sees the Shelby County versus Holder case as both a hurdle and an opportunity. Over the course of history, there there always have been some challenges to the Voting Rights Act where people have tried to dismantle it, weaken it, uh, water it down. And when we were uh, fighting a lot of the, the voting rights attacks last year during the election, we did fight them in the courts where we brought challenge uh, over a variety of laws that were bad around voter ID, around early voting, people that were trying to do things to actively suppress the vote. We also fought it in the court of public opinion, educating people about what the rules and laws were, which is part of why in 2012 when people thought the turnout would be lower than it, than it was in 2008, and it was actually higher because we educated people in the community on what these laws were, how to counter them, and if we couldn't beat them in the courts or we couldn't beat them by organizing people in the streets, we had to organize and outline organize people at the polls. And so that employed a lot of techniques on Election Day and leading up to Election Day, not just doing things to make sure that people like my mother came out to vote a week early so that her vote was not infringed upon, but also making sure that when people were in line on Election Day, that they got texts that told them how to stay in that line and what the rules were in that line and how to get help if they had a problem in that line. And as a result, early vote was 12% higher than it was in 2008. As a result, you had people that stood in line for eight hours. The backlash had a backlash. And we actually saw a turnout that was increased with the African-American vote being 8% higher than it was even in the historic year of 2008. And we're really proud of that. All right. So uh, let me give you some of the changes that we've already seen since uh, Shelby County versus Holder. And uh, tell me your sense of the countermeasures. Uh, Number one, maps that were declared uh, improper during the preclearance period, uh, you know, redistricting maps, congressional maps. How do you counter that? Yeah. So there are places like Texas that um, literally hours after the Supreme Court decision uh, began to institute uh, redistricting maps that were invalidated under the the previous Voting Rights Act. And so we continue to fight those uh, battles in the courts, but also there are parts of the Voting Rights Act that allow us to fight things in different ways. There's Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act where you can target some bad behavior that people are doing under a different section of the Voting Rights Act. So our our legal team is using the other parts of the Voting Rights Act where there are tools. There are places like uh, North Carolina that has an incredibly draconian law that does everything from cutting early vote to eliminating same-day registration to eliminating the provision that says and when people are turning uh, 18 before the election, they can vote early. And so we have to fight that with other parts of the Voting Rights Act and fight that legally in the courts. So let's talk about uh, voter IDs. How do you mobilize on a grassroots level to make sure 
everyone has the proper papers that they're going to need as these voter ID laws get changed. Well, it's interesting you say that because, you know, one of the things that's true about the last election year when people talked about how turnout was still high in spite of rules like voter ID, it was because, you know, the NAACP and groups like us knew a year and a half that these attacks were happening. And so we educated people in the community about what types of IDs they had to have, even if you couldn't change the law. You know, it's it's very interesting that in Texas, you can use a gun ID to register to vote, but you can't use a student ID. It really questions what message we're sending to our youth about what's really important. And we have to raise awareness of that in the courts and in the court of public opinion, but we also have to make sure that we educate those students so they understand what they need uh, so that they can have the proper type of ID, whatever state ID is required to be able to vote. But you're not telling students to go get guns down in Texas. No, no, that's, that, that, that would be the exact opposite message. But there, yeah. there are a number of other types of IDs that, uh, that, that people can use. They, you know, it is, um, in essence, a, a version of what we believe is very much like a poll tax. You know, if you have to go to the DMV to get a particular type of ID, you have to have the right papers to be able to get that ID. You have to have the time to get that ID. And I don't know the last time you've been to DMV, but it never was a quick trip uh, for me. And, uh, you know, and being able to take off work to be able to do that is something that certain communities and certain uh, demographics and certain income levels can't do. And the opposition knows that. That's why they pass these types of IDs. It's not because of any of the other things they allege. It's because they know that it's going to make it more difficult for other people to turn out and vote. So we have to do like what we did in Pennsylvania, where we got some student IDs to be validated to make sure that people could use IDs that were available to them. So we'll continue to wage those fights. What about purges like in Florida? How do you make a voter purge proof using your tools and techniques? You know, we have to we have to fight these battles in the legislature at the federal level and at the state level, particularly at the states where a lot of these um, activities go on. And, and, and what you will find is that with an army of over a million registered voters, a lot of these legislative districts don't have a lot of folks in them. And if you mobilize them, you can actually institute real change. And that's why a lot of the tactics that we're employing, like in places like North Carolina, where you've heard about the Moral Mondays, where people have been using civil disobedience to raise awareness about the issue so that legislators are shamed into doing the right thing or pressured to do the right thing, those types of organizing tactics we continue to bring uh, to the fore. Much like what we saw historically during the civil rights movement, which is interesting given the fact that we're approaching the 50-year anniversary of the March on Washington, which was predicated on civil disobedience, on the cornerstones of the Civil Rights uh, Act and, 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 and what this movement was about. Marvin Randolph, Senior Vice President for Campaigns at the NAACP, thanks so much. Thank you. To see an image of a voting ballot in 1964 and the race between Lyndon Johnson and Barry Goldwater, visit our website at thetakeaway.org. Coming up, a journey through the civil rights movement of the 1960s, the March on Washington, stories from people who were there and at other moments of the 1960s. That's coming up next on The Takeaway.